This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. Grab your Bible, turn to the book of Philippians, chapter number four, if you would. We've been, since the beginning of last year, in the uh, uh, beginning of 2020, in the book of Philippians, just going verse by verse through the, uh, the book. We're going to wrap it up in the next couple of weeks. How about that? We will uh, uh, be finished with this by the end of uh, November. Uh, Philippians chapter uh, four, we're going to start in verse number four uh, today. For those of you that might have missed in the message here, let me give you the context. We have the book of Philippians was written to the church at Philippi. That's why it's called Philippians. Uh, it was written to a church that uh, the Apostle Paul had pastored uh, for probably about 18 months. He started it from scratch, pastored it, moved on, uh, and now about 10 years later finds himself in prison. He writes a letter back from prison to the church at Philippi. Uh, we sometimes refer to these as Paul's prison epistles or prison letters. Uh, and so he writes a letter back to them, basically encouraging them, hey guys, you're doing a great job, keep up the good work, and that's kind of where we find ourselves here today. Now, mind you, Paul's writing from prison. It's not a typical prison cell like you and I would think of with, with bars and things like that. It's more of house arrest. Uh, he's not allowed to leave. He can't have visitors that come in uh, and stay with him for a, a period of time. He's, but he's always under 24-hour Roman supervision. Can't, uh, not allowed to leave under house arrest. And so uh, as he's there, instead of just waiting for the time to pass or biding his time, he writes letters. And so we uh, have the opportunity to read uh, one of his letters that's included as part of Scripture for us in the book of Philippians. So much good stuff in this chapter. If you missed it, uh, get caught up. Uh, again, uh, we've been taking a look at it over the last year and a half, but there's so much good stuff in the book of Philippians, and, and today's going to be no exception for you as well. I've entitled today's message, How to Be Content. And so we'll start, again, just in the context in verse number four. We'll read down through verse number 13 this morning. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. Be careful for nothing. That word careful means anxious, so be anxious for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. Verse number 10 through verse number 13 is where we're going to spend our time today. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, now that at the last of your care hath flourished again, wherein you were also careful, but you lacked opportunity. In other words, he says, hey, you, you sent to me financially and you took care of me. Uh, sometimes you didn't have an opportunity, but now you did, and I appreciate that. Verse number 11, he says, not that I speak in respect of want, for I've learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased, that means brought low, and I know how to be abound, that means brought high. Everywhere and in all things I'm instructed to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. We live in a world today that is at odds with the idea of being content. We live in a world that is programming you, programming me to be discontent. 
Uh, we live in a world today that makes us want to have more stuff than what we actually have and more stuff than what we actually need. Uh, I don't spend a lot of time on social media. I can't, uh, I frankly don't have the stomach for it. It's not good for me, uh, emotionally uh, healthy, uh, not uh, spiritually healthy for me. So I try to stay away from it. But I manage our church's uh, social media, so sometimes I log into Facebook and you get those notifications that you have to click off because uh, it drives me bananas. Uh, some of you on your phone, you have like 1,612 unread emails at the bottom, and that's okay with you. I don't understand you. I wish I was you, but that just hurts my heart. Um, so as I'm clicking off on that, I look over something that catches my eye in my little uh, feed going on over here, and it's basically products that you might like from Amazon. And so I, I come across this amazing invention called flashlight gloves and so like 30 seconds ago I didn't even know that this existed now I can't imagine my life without it it's basically gloves that you put on that have flashlights built in so if you know if you're under the sink working on plumbing you've got flashlights on your fingers you're working on the car in kind of a dark space you got flashlights on your fingers and I think to myself I don't care how much this is I need this right and I find out, $16.99, that's reasonable impulse buy. And so I click on the button that says buy it now, and it gets shipped. I was like, this is awesome. Like, I've got some work that I need to do on the car, but I'm not going to do it until my flashlight gloves come in, right? I'm like holding off on projects because I need these. I didn't know that they existed, but now I can't wait for them. I got a tracking number on them. I'm refreshing multiple times a day for when my flashlight gloves come in. And uh, I'm so excited because there's a project I need to do on my wife's car. I'm putting off until I get to use my flashlight gloves. They come in, and I'm immediately disappointed. They're made out of, like, pantyhose material. They're super flimsy, super thin. They've already got a hole in them when I get them. And it, it's, it's basically a, a bummer. But it's okay. I've never had flashlights on my fingertips before, so I know that this is going to be a revolutionary experience. And some, sometimes you've got to be one of those people that gets out ahead of things. And, uh, you know, and that's me. I'm a pioneer here. And so I get my flashlight gloves. I put them on. And basically this wrist strap, I don't know what type of contortion this guy has on his wrist, but the wrist, does, the wrist strap doesn't go around your wrist. It's like at a weird angle where it goes down like the side of your wrist, like this, down to like your forearm. You're like, what are you supposed to do with that? But I can't be deterred from this because this is a revolutionary device that was going to change my life. So basically, I take the strap. The Velcro strips don't even line up. And so I, I wrap it around my wrist, and I get black electrical tape and tape it on my wrists <laughs> because I have a project that I must do with flashlight gloves. And so... I, I get underneath my wife's car, and I'm, I'm thinking around stuff, and I'm pulling stuff and things like that, and I think, perfect opportunity, and I reach over, and I press the button, and there's no light that comes out of it, and so I begin to, like, press the other one. No light comes out of it. Like, I have my hands in a dark space, and there's no light, and I turn around and look, and it's this single LED that just, like, barely, like, you're like, is that on? I think it's on. Like, you stick it, like, up to your eyeball, and you think, I think that might be on. And then you press the off button, and it goes off. And it's just like, oh, my soul. Like, this doesn't provide light like you see in there. Like, you couldn't use that if you wanted to. Like, the screen of your cell phone, not the flashlight out, the screen of your cell phone puts out more light than the flashlight gloves do. And I realize, I've been had. <laughs> and so I think to myself, do I return these? I'm embarrassed to return these. And so basically, I, I threw them away because it was just, it was a total, complete loss. Now, mind you, here is a product that I didn't know existed. When I found out that it existed, I can't imagine my life without it. I get the product, and then I realize 
I'm an idiot for buying this, and nobody should have this in their life. And I was struck with the idea of how quickly I could be convinced to buy something that I didn't actually need, and even be convinced that I actually needed this in my life. That's the world that we live in. It's no surprise that when they put together television programs uh, and uh, commercials that they call it television programming because the whole purpose of that is to program you to be discontent with what you have and to want more stuff. I didn't, uh, I didn't know that there was a, a, a Ford Bronco that's out now. I saw one the other day. I was like, now I need a Ford Bronco in my life, right? Now, now not only do I need the new Ford Bronco, now I need the old Ford Bronco from like the 60s, right? Now I, I just want more stuff when I see it. And that's how the human heart is. And here's the crazy thing. God has made our heart to crave. He's made our heart to be desirous of more. But the problem is, is we point our heart towards the things of this world and crave more of the things of this world when God created our heart to point our heart towards him and crave more things of God. That's how our heart's designed. But we get off track when, when it's been miscalibrated. And so you see, contentment flows from a heart of gratitude for what God has already given. When we talk about contentment this morning, it starts with gratitude, being thankful for what you already have. That's where contentment really begins. Look, we're coming up on, on Thanksgiving this month, and I'm thankful that we have a, a day on our calendar where we can pull aside and be thankful, and we'll eat a ridiculous amount of food. We'll, we'll make more food than we can eat in one sitting. We'll eat until we're absolutely about to split our pants then we'll take a couple of hours and we'll do it all over again, right? And then we'll continue to eat on this massive amount of food that we've made probably for the next two to three days because we are so disgustingly blessed. And generally, most of us, what we'll do before we dig into the turkeys, we'll go around the table and say one thing that you're thankful for. And while that might be helpful, friends, Thanksgiving is not a day on the calendar. It's a heart condition that you and I should have every single day of our lives. I should ask you right now what you're thankful for and you should be able to rattle off 15, 20 different things that you are grateful for. And if you can't, I promise you, you have a problem with contentment. Guaranteed. Because contentment flows from a heart of gratitude for what God has already given us, what we're already blessed with. The word that's used here in verse number 11, the Greek word that Paul uses in this passage here, means self-supporting, sufficient in oneself, and here's another thing that it means, satisfied. When Paul says, whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content, he's saying, outside of what I already have, I don't need anything else. Outside of what I already have, I'm, I'm okay. Everything that I already have is enough. I am satisfied. And it's no coincidence that Paul says in verse number 11, take a look at it, I have learned in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. Because by default, we're not content. By default, we want more. By default, we're discontent with what we have. That's important before we jump off here today and talk about contentment. There are some areas of your life where you should have a healthy discontentment. For example, I'm not content with my walk with God. I want it to be better. I want my time in the Bible to be richer. I want my prayer time to be more meaningful. I want my Christian witness to other people to be more bold. I want to bring more people to Christ. I want to be a better husband. 
I want to love my wife better. I want to serve her better. I want to be a better father. I want to invest in my kids to a greater degree. There's a discontentment there. That's a healthy discontentment where we say, I want to grow. That's a good thing. That's actually a biblical mindset. Paul writes to the church at Corinth and he asks, he tells them to be steadfast, unmovable, and always abounding in the work of the Lord. Hey, always look for that next level that you can take your Christian walk. That is a healthy discontentment. That is not what Paul's talking about in this passage where he says you need to be content. Paul's talking about the things of this world, material gain, your situation, your status in life, where you are in life right now. Paul is saying, hey, just be content with where you are. As he writes to Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 6, he says, but godliness with contentment is great gain. Hey, if you can be godly and walk with Jesus and be content, you are head and shoulders above everybody else. If you can be godly and content, that's great gain. And then he goes on in verse number 8, 1 Timothy chapter 6, verse number 8, and says, having food and clothing therewith be content. So God kind of outlines for us exactly what we need. Again, need. So sometimes we say foolish things like, I need a better car. (laughs) No, you don't. I need a bigger house. Uh, No, you don't. It's always interesting to me when people have their first child. Uh, First-time parents are awesome. We got first-time parents in in the room here today. You guys are awesome. You really are. But sometimes we think to ourselves, we're having our first child, and so we're currently in a one-bedroom. We need to move into a four-bedroom because we need the baby needs to have a nursery, and then the baby needs to have its own playroom, and then I need my office to work in at home, so we need at least a four-bedroom because we're having our first child. Hey, look, uh, you'll be fine. Your kid can sleep in your room in a bassinet for the first year. They won't know the difference. I promise you. And so when we think in terms of needs, sometimes we go a little bit overboard in what we actually need. The Bible says if you have food and clothing, you're good. You have everything that you need. You say, well, what about a place to stay? I need a roof over my head. Jesus says that he didn't have a place to lay his head at night. And so that we wouldn't even put in a category as a need per se, according to the Bible. And so then people get the idea, well, if if that's what godliness means, then I'm going to take a vow of poverty. I'm going to take everything I have. I'm going to give it away. I'm going to be a nomad. I'm going to roam the streets. That would be really godly, wouldn't it? No, that's, there's a difference there. Let me help you with something this morning. It's not a sin to be rich. It's not a sin to have nice things. Okay? It is a sin to desire to be rich. And it is a sin to think that the things of this world will satisfy you. That's a sin. Hey, look, if you have a nice car and God's blessed you with that, man, be thankful for God's blessings. If you have a nice place to stay or even a place to stay tonight, be thankful for that. That's God's blessings upon your life. But when you and I shift from a heart of gratitude, I praise God for what I have, to a heart of entitlement, God deserves to give me more stuff, then we've crossed a line that God doesn't intend us to cross. And so, and again, any blessing that you have has come from God because it, all blessings, the Bible tells us in first, uh, I'm sorry, in James chapter one, all blessings come from God automatically. The author of Hebrews, who many people think to be the Apostle Paul, I would probably agree with that based on the, the writing style and some other things. Hebrews chapter 13, verse number five says it this way. Let your conversation, the way that you live your life, be without covetousness and be content with such things as you have. 
Get this, last part. For he hath said, speaking of Christ, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. Interesting, kind of a three-part thought here. First thought, don't live a lifestyle of covetousness. Covetousness is a heart desire to have things that don't belong to you. That's actually one of the Ten Commandments, not to covet things that belong to your neighbor. And so covetousness is a sin. Don't let your life be a life of covetousness. Second thought here, but let your life be marked by being content with the things that you already have. Because, and here's a part that seems, on the surface, seems disconnected from the other thoughts. Don't be covetous, be content, because God has promised to never leave you or forsake you. And you're like, how does that tie into contentment? Because here's the big idea. If you have Jesus Christ, you already have everything that you need. If Jesus is enough, and he is, you don't need a fancy car or a big house or the status or anything along those lines because you already have what you need. Don't be covetous. Be content with what you already have because you have the presence of Christ in your life. Discontentment, a continual desire for more, and materialism are symptoms of a carnal heart. I, I have to admit to you, there was a time in my life where my God was materialism, lowercase g. And let me just tell you, it was a very disappointing God. I thought if I got enough stuff, I would be happy. You know, I was, I was brought up in a Christian home. My parents did their best, but I kind of grew, grew up with the idea based on society and the, the, the area that I lived in that the more stuff you got, the happier you would be. And that if you ever got to a point where like maybe you owned your own business or you were financially successful, that, that was kind of the top rung of success in life. And even we have what's called the American dream, which is that if you work hard enough and you save and you get ahead, you can buy a house, you can have a nice car, you can take an expensive vacation, your kids can go to a great school, you can dress well, people will be impressed by you, and anybody can do that because this is America. Let me just tell you, that's not a dream worth buying into. And if you buy into that, you will find that when you get there, you'll be greatly disappointed with what you have. Uh, Author Stephen Covey was not a Christian, he was a Mormon, but he had a, a statement that he often said, many people spend their entire life climbing a ladder only to realize that it's leaned against the wrong building. And if you're chasing success that this world has to offer, please understand that when you get there, you'll be disappointed with what you got. Guaranteed. And when I'm discontent, when I'm frustrated with what I have in life, when I want more, when I think if I had more stuff, I would be happy, that's just a sign that there's something wrong in my heart. And so I've got to fix my heart. Now, Paul tells us how to prepare our heart for contentment. It's interesting, so many times people look for, you know, uh, 10 ways to, to be more content or 10 ways to find happiness in life or 10 ways. Just look back to the Bible. The Bible almost always has the answers for what we need. Now, are there practical steps that we can take? Sure. If you're discontent, you should probably not hang out on social media a lot. If you're discontent, you probably shouldn't walk around Alamoana Center with no uh, plan and no aim. Uh, you know, you should probably, you know, shouldn't just cruise through the Apple store to see what the new iPhone has because you, your heart's going to want it. So, what should we do? Well, the Bible tells us how to prepare our heart for contentment. And good for us, it's just all right here in this passage. If you go back to verse number four, Paul says in this passage, 
Philippians 4, 4, rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. So first thing we do to prepare our heart for contentment is to praise God for everything. Everything. Well, pastor, things aren't going really well for me right now. Good, praise God anyways. Well, I struggle to find something to praise God for. Good, praise God for the breath in your lungs this morning. Praise God that you got the opportunity to come to church this morning. Praise God, if you're a child of God, that he saved your sin-sick soul from everlasting wrath and destruction. If you have something to praise God for, praise him. That's, that helps me get my heart right. And again, a good exercise that we should do probably a couple times a year, take a sheet of paper and write 50 things that you're thankful for. And if you can't figure out 50, you've got a heart issue somewhere. But I have to cultivate a heart of praise in me. Look, it's easy to complain. Anybody can complain. It's easy to gripe. Anybody can gripe. It takes a heart that's connected to God to find good in every situation and be able to praise God for it. And again, if we're just going through this passage here, verse number six, we can refuse to adopt a mindset of anxiety and worry. Verse number six, be careful or be anxious for nothing. That's a commandment. But by everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. So I'm not going to adopt a mindset of anxiety and worry. Everything that comes up, I'm not going to be super freaked out about it. I don't know what's going to happen next week, but I frankly don't have to worry about next week. Because I refuse to adopt a, a mindset of anxiety and worry and a feeling that the sky is always falling. I'm not going to do that. Next, pray and give thanks. Verse number six, be careful or be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. So I'm just going to pray. That's going to help prepare my heart to be content with the things that I have. I'm going to praise God for what I already have. I'm going to not worry or be anxious about anything. I'm going to pray and give thanks to God for the things that I already have. Next, I'm going to allow the peace of God to rule my heart. Verse number seven, the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. So I'm going to allow God's peace to come into my life and take away any anxiety, any worry, any covetousness, any desire for more. And I'm just going to allow God's peace. I love this, what this verse is here in verse number seven. And the peace that passeth all understanding shall keep. That word keep means to grab hold of and not let go of. So my, get this, get this thought in your mind. Your, your head, your mind, your thoughts, your emotions are running crazy. And the peace of God kind of scoops everything up and bear hugs it and says, uh-uh-uh, you're not going to let your mind go there. You've got peace now. And the peace of God shall keep your heart and minds through Christ Jesus. The promise. Next, think on the things that are true, honorable, right, pure, attractive to God, and well thought of. Philippians 4.8. Because I'm not going to think thoughts that don't fall in line with Philippians 4.8. I've talked with several people over the last couple of weeks. And some of the things that they say, I go, uh-uh, that's not a Philippians 4.8 thought. Well, you know, I'm, a, I'm not content with where I'm at because I should be further in my career than I am right now. Uh-uh-uh, that's not a Philippians 4.8 thought. Well, there's a guy that got promoted before I got promoted. He's a dirtbag. I work with him. He's a, a no good, uh-uh-uh, that's not a Philippians 4.8 thought. 
well, I'm stuck out here in the middle of the ocean in Hawaii and, you know, housing prices are through the roof. Uh, 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 it's not a Philippians 4 eight thought. My life would be so much better if I lived in Iowa because nobody has problems in Iowa. Because, like, you can buy a house for, like, $75,000 in Iowa. Uh-uh-uh, it's not a Philippians 4.8 thought. Right? Because the problems are always here. They're never somewhere else, right? Never. And so we begin to think thoughts that will rob our peace and steal our contentment as well. And so if you want to be content with what you have, you've got to, first of all, start with the thoughts that you think. I do not need a brand new car. <laughs> That's a fact. And when I begin to think to myself, well, I need reliable transportation because I wouldn't want to be stuck on the side of the freeway. That would be the worst thing in the world. And so I should go out and spend money that I don't have on a really nice car to impress people that I don't like. That, that, that's not a Philippians 4.8 thought. I'm not going to go there. I... I, I want to get an education so people will call me by a different title or so I'll have more letters on the end of my name on my business card. That's not a Philippians 4.8 thought. That's going to rob your contentment. Next, obey God in every area of your life. Verse number nine, the things you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do and the God of peace shall be with you. So here we see six steps to help prep our heart to be content. And again, the frustrating thing for me as a pastor, and hopefully for you as a Christian as well, when people just, just get tunnel vision with the Bible. Oh, Paul says we're supposed to be content, but he doesn't tell us how. No, that's all he's telling us how to do is how to be content. The, the first, the, again, the first eight verses before this weren't just written disconnected and disjointed from the idea of being content. Paul's writing from prison for heaven's sakes. He's telling us how to be content. And it begins with praising God when difficult times come, praying and asking God to fix it and changing the way that we think and just obeying God. That helps prep my heart to be content. And to find contentment, we have to trust in God's sovereignty. The sovereignty of God should bring great peace to your soul. The sovereignty of God means that we believe that God is in charge from beginning to end of everything that takes place on the planet, in the universe, in the world, in eternity. From eternity past, eternity future, God has a plan that was thought out before the world began. And everything is working in accordance with God's plan, in God's timing, the way that he wants it to happen even things that appear to oppose his rule. We, we talked several weeks ago, COVID, good or bad? Everybody's like, bad. Really? Is there anything good that's come out of it? And I think all of us could find something, good things that have come as a result of it. So again, God is sovereign through all things. Uh, again, we took a look at <laughs> last, uh, last year, they tell us we're gonna have to shut down. Oh, probably just two weeks. Two weeks turned into 12 weeks. Do we panic? No, we know that God's in charge because God is sovereign. And trusting God's sovereignty should bring great peace to our souls. You see, for our needs and our wants, our trust is in the Lord. You see, if we're being honest, God doesn't just give us what we need. He gives us a lot of what we want. Again, what are the bare minimum requirements to be content? Food and clothes. That's it. 
And if God's given you more than that, please understand, that's God giving you your wants because he's gracious. But whether I want something or I need something, my trust has to be in the Lord. And I don't know about you, but that's difficult for me. I like to, to control things. I like to be in control. I'm not a, what you would say a control freak per se. I just don't like chaos. And like if somebody's not bringing order to a situation, sign me up. I'll bring order to a situation. Like one of the things that, that just grinds my gears is like to go to a kid's birthday party where nobody knows what's going on, right? And like not even my birthday party. I'm just there as a, as a parent, right? And they're like, come on around, everybody. We're going to sing happy birthday. And the kids are screaming and yelling and kicking and pushing people down and running and going crazy. And there's some kid on the backside sticking his finger in the cake and licking the ice. And they're come on, everybody, gather around. It's just like, somebody take control of this situation. I'm just like, hey, kid, single file line right across here. We're going to sing happy birthday on three, three, two, one, sing. Like that. Now sit down. We're going to cut you a piece of cake. You're going to eat your cake. Then we're going to watch presents be open. And then you can get up and run around. It's not even my party, but I want to take control because I don't like chaos. Do you know how hard it is for me when my life feels like chaos and there's nothing that I can do about it? To just sit back and go, oh, I'm just going to rest in the sovereignty of God. I'm just going to let God work this out because, you know, I, I don't have to be in control. That is so hard for me. But that's exactly what God commands us to do. You see, the sovereignty of God gives us hope Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse number 31, Therefore take no thought, saying, What we shall we eat? What shall we drink? Wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. The Gentiles means the unbelievers think. For your heavenly Father know that you have what you have need of, all these things. Jesus said, hey, don't worry about what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, where you're going to stay. Unsafe people worry about that stuff. Your Father knows exactly what you need. That's why I love the song we heard uh, just a moment ago. His eyes on the sparrow. Hey, look, he takes care of birds. He's totally got you. Like, they don't have a job. They ain't got no bills. He takes care of them. How much more do you you think your father is going to take care of you? And so resting in the sovereignty of God means I know that God's in charge. I know that God knows what he's doing. I'm just going to trust him. But you see, that requires that you and I actually wait on God's timing. And I don't know about you, but I don't like to wait. Waiting is not a specialty of mine. I want to be better in that. I'm trying to grow in that area, but it's just hard for me. I'm the type of person that if I go to a restaurant and I say, hey, what's the wait time here? And they say 45 minutes. I'm like, no way, no how. Because if I wait 45 minutes, I'm going to wait 15 minutes to get my order taken. Then I'm going to wait another 15 minutes for my food. It's going to be an hour and a half before I eat. I don't have that kind of time. And so no thanks, we're leaving. And we'll drive across town to a different restaurant. My wife will get out and she said, they said 30 minutes. No way, we're not waiting 30 minutes. That's ridiculous. And then we'll drive across town to a different place. What's the wait time here? 25 minutes. Okay, I can wait 25 minutes. <laughs> Never mind the fact that I've already waited an hour and a half to wait 25 minutes, right? I just don't like sitting, doing nothing. But here's the good news. When you wait on the Lord, you're not waiting, sitting, doing nothing. It's not like I'm just sitting, waiting to bide my time. Uh, I love Psalm 27, verse number 14. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He'll strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. Psalm 27, 14. You should write that down. You should circle that. You should memorize that. You should maybe write that down on a three by five card and put it in your house. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage. He'll strengthen your heart. Wait, I say on the Lord. 
What does that mean? That means we're not just sitting, waiting with that little buzzer that they give you at the restaurants, waiting for it to buzz, and then we can get up and actually go eat. No, while I'm waiting, God is strengthening my heart. He's strengthening my faith. He's doing things in my life to remind me that he is there, he is working, and he is always in charge. So waiting on the Lord isn't just like I'm, I'm sitting around waiting, i got nothing to do. No, waiting on the Lord is a time of training. It's a time of growing. It's a time of strengthening while I wait on the Lord so that when God comes through, it's like, oh, yeah, I knew you were going to do that. And so waiting time is never wasted time unless we waste it. But then when we trust in God's sovereignty, we also have to trust in what God provides. God is, in, is such a generous giver. And when God provides, he really provides. We as Bible-believing Christians don't believe in luck. We as Bible-believing Christians don't believe in things like superstition. The number 13 is not unlucky to us. Uh, you know, black cat runs across your, your path. You don't have to tear anything. You're fine. We, we don't even, and I know even Christian people that are superstitious are like, every time I wear my red shirt, God always answers my prayers. It's like, what? What are you talking about? That's crazy talk. We're not superstitious like that. We don't believe in luck or coincidence. We believe in, here's a good word for you, providence. That means God provides. You might think, oh, I'm here at this church this morning by coincidence. Somebody happened to leave something on my front door. One of my neighbors happened to invite me. One of my coworkers happened to invite me. There just so happens to be people that I already know at this church. That's not coincidence. That's providence. God already knew that. God already set all this up for you. I think the majority of us that didn't grow up here in Honolulu would say, we kind of got here by coincidence or by happenstance or by accident. None of that is happenstance, coincidence, or accident with God. It's always providence. So when God provides, you can trust in what he provides because he knows what he's doing. And when we talk about the sovereignty of God, uh, one pastor one time says, God is often doing 10,000 things in your life and you're aware of about three of them. That we can't even fathom the types of things that God's are doing, so God is doing it right now, so we should just sit back and trust him Psalm 121, verse number five, the Lord is thy keeper. The Lord is a shade upon my right hand. The sun shall not smite thee by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord shall preserve thee from all evil. He shall preserve thy soul. The Lord shall preserve thy going out from thy coming in and from time forth even to evermore. Hey, whether you're coming or going, whether it's daytime, nighttime, God's got you. He's taking care of you. He is your keeper. He's your protector. He's your provider. And you can trust him. So contentment ties directly into the sovereignty of God. I might not be where I want to be right now in life, but I trust God. Things might not be going the way that I want them to right now, but I trust God. I might not have all the things that I want. I might not have the job that I want, the car that I want, the place that I want. I might not even be where I want to be in life, but I trust God. I know that he's sovereign. I know that he's faithful. I know that his plans are greater than my plans and you see, we become discontent when we want to be in control. Again, that's my problem so many times. I'm frustrated, I'm discontent because I think to myself, I could fix this. I can do this. I can handle this. I don't need anybody's help. But then I often find I end up making a mess of my situation because I didn't allow God the space to be in control. 
And I, I see so many single adults mess up their life because they think to themselves, well, I need to get married right away and I need to help God with this, so I'm going to date some unsaved guy and hopefully he'll get saved and then maybe he'll become a Christian and maybe we can get married and maybe we can have kids because my time's running out. I got to get married. I got to find somebody and get married now. No, you have to trust the process. And let me just tell you, it's better to be single, godly, and happy than to be married away from the Lord and miserable any day of the week. So just trust the Lord's timing. Trust his process. You don't have to be in control. And for me, when I try to take control back from God and try to run my life and do my things, God gently pats me on top of the head and says, that's cute, son, have a seat. I'm still working here. He has a way of doing that. And I need to know my role. I need to be obedient. I need to be faithful. And I need to trust the process. And so, again, when we become discontent, it's because we want to run things our way, and God doesn't work that way. Take a look at verse number uh, um, 12. Paul says, I know how to be abased. That means brought low. I know how to abound. That means to be brought high. Everywhere and in all things, I'm instructed to be both full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. You see, we as Christians have to be satisfied with little. Paul says, I, when I don't have a lot, I can be content with that. And when we talk about contentment and having little, you see, when we look at life with a humanistic view, we need to have more. And a humanistic view basically means that humans are the center of the universe, that you and I are of supreme importance, that you and I view everything through the lens of what does this do for me? How does this advance me? How does this help me? That's a humanistic viewpoint, and you will always need more. Whatever you have, it's not enough. However nice your car is, somebody's got one nicer. However high up you are in the chain of command, somebody's always higher. Wherever you're at on the flow chart, there's always somebody over you. However nice your car is, somebody's got one nicer. However nice your house is, somebody's got one nicer. There's always somebody bigger and you need to get more. And we begin to do whatever it takes to get more. But you see, when we look at life from a biblical perspective, we need less. I don't need status to be content. More money only creates more problems. It only clouds my, my vision. Having more stuff just helps me, it takes my focus off the things of God. And so I've got to come back to have a right perspective. And the Bible says, hey, if you've got food, and clothes, you're good. Anything else I have, gravy, extra, bonus, grace of God. But if I'm looking at life from a humanistic standpoint, I need more. I got to make more. I got I to gotta find a way to earn more. I got to get a side hustle going so I can bring more money in, so I can have more stuff, so I can build more wealth. <laughs> My daughter Tallulah, she's four years old. And uh, just to kind of show you how generations change, she doesn't watch television shows like we used to watch. You know, my kids used to watch like Thomas the Train, Barney, and all that other really annoying stuff. You know? Now my, my, my four-year-old, she watches YouTube videos. And it, this is the dumbest thing I've ever heard in my life. It's YouTube videos of adults playing with toys and recording it. Like, oh, hey, how's it going? Oh, I'm good, how are you? Oh, good, I got a new puppy. Here's Fluffy. Oh, hi, Fluffy. And it's like, are we really watching this? Like, like, kids don't play with toys. They watch videos of adults playing with toys. And I'm thinking to myself, what type of idiot 
would buy kids' toys and videotape themselves playing with kids' toys and put it on the internet, right? And then I go to close out the video, it's got like 22 million views. What? 22 million views on somebody playing with, with, with toys. And then you go look up these people on the internet, net worth $25 million. You got people in their early 20s who play with kids' toys on the internet that are multimillionaires, and you think to yourself, who's the idiot now? I'm the idiot, right? <laughs> Good grief. And then you begin thinking, like, well, what could I do to, to make a YouTube channel with 23 million views? Like, I, I'm going to start a YouTube channel called Preachers Talking About Preachers. And I'm going to take other people's preaching clips and I'm going to criticize them and put that on the internet. Like, get like a lot of views and I'll make a, But hey, look, if you're looking at life from a humanistic viewpoint, like how do I start a YouTube channel and make a ridiculous amount of money? How do I get ahead the way these people are getting ahead? How do I get the stuff that they have? But if you look at things from a biblical perspective, you say, I don't need that kind of stuff in my life. I don't need to chase riches. Like, if somebody got rich playing with kids' toys, hey, more power to you. Good for you. Four-year-olds are making you rich. Congratulations. But I'm not chasing that stuff. I got something else that I'm chasing. I'm chasing Jesus instead. And you see, contentment is a heart issue and a perspective issue. And it's all about how I look at life. I, I saw um, on a, my news feed several days ago that there's a, a two-bedroom, two-bath apartment that's available over at one, uh, one Kapilani or whatever this is, tower is over here on the back side of the mall. And so basically your, your tower that you're in is on the back side of the parking lot of Target, uh, basically. Two-bedroom, two-bath available now. Some of you, you, I'll send you the details. $7,500 a month for a two-bedroom, two-bath apartment on the backside of Target's parking lot. And you're looking like, would somebody really pay $7,500? That's, that's a nice used car, right? Every month to live in a, a, a condo like that? Yeah, they do. And you know what? They probably go with some sense of accomplishment. I made it. Look at us. But I look at things like that, and if you live over there, I'm not against you, I'm for you, I, I promise but I look at that and I go, wow, do you feel accomplished by living somewhere like that? Because that's not what God values. I don't look at that and go, wow, those people really made it. I look at their heart. I look at how, what they have that God values. Do you have love? Do you have joy? Do you have peace? Do you have long suffering? Those are the things that God values. Do you have righteousness? Do you have holiness? Do you share your faith with other people? Those are the things that God values. Not where you live, what your address is, how much you spend a month. And look, again, it's not a sin to have nice things. And if you have nice things and love Jesus, I'm for you. But we can't live a life where we are enamored by the things of this world and material possessions hold sway over us and hold value to us as Christians. It's just a perspective shift. Look, I would much rather have Jesus than $5 million any day of the week. Not even remotely close. What is that? It's a perspective change. You say, well, everybody's got their price. There's not a price high enough to get me to forsake Jesus. There's just not. Perspective. We have to remember that the grace of God has given us everything when we have more. So we need to be content with less, but when we have more, we need to just remember the grace of God. James chapter 1, every good and every perfect gift cometh from above, from the Father of lights, 
in, who, in whom there's no variableness, neither shadow of turning. If you have something good in your life, it's because God gave it to you. You don't talk about perspective. Somebody who had perspective, Job. Job had perspective. You know what he said? He had a lot of stuff. He was rich, according to the world's standards. And Bible theologians tell us he's probably one of the richest men in the world at the time. And he lost everything. And you know what he said? Naked came I into the world, and naked shall I return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. I didn't bring nothing into this world, and I'm not leaving with anything, and everything that I got in between, God gave me. So God's good. That's a perspective shift because a lot of people, myself probably included, would start to complain when God started taking away all the good stuff that he gave me. Like, hey, what are you doing here? I was trying to do the right thing. Why are you taking that away? Perspective changes that. And if God has blessed you, just know this, that it's the grace of God in your life. If, if you're comfortable financially, it's the grace of God in your life. And let me just tell you this. If you're not comfortable financially, it's the grace of God in your life that you have two nickels to rub, rub together. I sit here in this room this morning with some of the richest people in the world. And you're like, oh, who are they? <laughs> it's you. Oh, you haven't seen my finances. I'm not rich. Get this. We'll talk about this more next week. But 50% of the world's population lives on less than $2 a day. 50%. So if you make more than $60 a month, you are in the top 50% richest people on the planet right now. Of like three, and a, like three and a half billion people, you're richer than. And when you begin to say like, if you make more than like $500 a month, you then go up several tiers of like, top 80th percentile richest people in the world. But you see, the problem is we don't compare ourselves with the people who make $2 a day. We compare ourselves to the guy who makes 20000 a week. They go, oh, I could never be rich like that. You're filthy rich already. You just need to remember the grace of God in your life. I had the opportunity several years ago to travel to El Salvador. I was talking with our driver, and I said, you know, what do, what do people do around here for work? And he basically said anything that they can. And he said, the people that are really well off, though, have family that live in America. And I said, tell me about that. And so, I mean, they have family members who go to America. They work for $15 an hour, and they send about 75% of their paycheck back to El Salvador. And these people live like kings, like kings. And then I thought to myself, wait, there's people who come over here and live on $5 an hour and send the rest of their money home? Yeah, they do. And it's just like, wow. Like, we are so blessed. But you see, when it comes to contentment, we don't think about those things. We don't look around our house and go, wow, how blessed we are. We look around our house and go, I wish I had this. I wish I had that. We sit and watch television. We say, I wish I had that. I wish I could get that. We go on our social media feed and go, wow, everybody's life is better than mine. Everybody's kids so well behaved. Everybody's kids say funny stuff on the internet, right? <laughs> it was funny one time I was scrolling through my wife's uh, Facebook feed, and she's a, a friend with like friends with moms, and it's like, how do you get vomit out of the car seat? You know, and scroll a little bit later. You know, how do you do this? Hey, it's all like mom stuff, and like, how do you fold fitted sheets? And it's just like, you have the boringest news feed I've ever seen in my life. You know, cleaning vomit and folding sheets. Like, what is this? But you know what I loved about it? It was just a bunch of real moms struggling with real problems. There wasn't a lot of perfectly, you know, tuned 
Instagram photos of people with these big, huge boho hats on with their, you know, knee-high Uggs with holding, sipping their pumpkin spice latte, you know. That's not real life, right? But the problem is, you, look, you know, I look at that and go, wow, wow, fall on the mainland. It must be so nice. It's not nice. When you have to go start your car, it's 30 degrees outside, and you have to scrape ice. That's not fun, okay? Be content with what you have right? But the problem is, as we see things, we think things, and it affects our heart. Just remember the grace of God. The final thought this morning, our true satisfaction is in Christ. Whether you have anything or you don't, you can be satisfied because you have Jesus. Our true satisfaction comes from Christ. And again, when we talk about perspective, so many times I hear people say one of the most foolish statements I've ever heard said I just want what I deserve. Let me tell you this. You do not want what you deserve. I promise you. I just wish God was fair. No, you don't. I promise you, you don't want God to be fair. You don't want to get what's coming to you. Because what do you have coming to you? Punishment, wrath, judgment, hell, that's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. The Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. That the wages of sin, the consequences of sin is death. That means you're going to die and go to hell because you sinned against God. That's what we deserve. But Jesus came and died in our place. He took our sin upon himself, put it to death on the cross once and for all, rose again the third day victorious, and gives you, gives me the opportunity to receive that gift of forgiveness. And friend, if you've never had a time in your life where you've been saved or born again, please understand, you stand in danger of God's judgment and wrath, and one day you're going to get what's coming to you, and it will not be pretty. It's death and hell. That's what you deserve. That's what I deserve. But if you would be willing today to put your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, if you'd be willing to say, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. I believe that he died for my sins. I believe that he is the only way to heaven, and I'm asking him to forgive me and save me from my sins. You could be saved today. It's not a matter of being a Baptist or joining our church or going to a class or getting baptized. It's about knowing for sure your sins are forgiven and heaven is your home. If you've never been saved or born again, you'll never know the peace of God. You'll chase everything that this world has to offer and you'll never be satisfied because you will find that the only contentment that this life offers is found in the person of Jesus Christ. Paul t- says in verse number 12, I know how to be high, I know how to be low, I know how to be hungry, I know how to be full, and I know that through Jesus Christ, I can do all things which strengthen me. My satisfaction is found in Christ and Christ alone. If I lost everything tomorrow, didn't have a dime to my name, didn't have a family member to my name that knew me, cared about me, had no place to live, I have everything that I need because I have Jesus. That's what he's saying in verse number 13. See, we have to live a life where our satisfaction is disconnected from our circumstances. So many times we think, well, I could be content if I had what they have. And please understand, when you compare yourself to someone else, the Bible says you're unwise. But not only that, oftentimes you don't want what other people have, I promise you. Oh, if I could be financially secure the way that they are, everything would be okay. No, that wouldn't be okay. That's not your problem. Oh, if our marriage was like theirs, 
we'd be okay. You don't know, uh, you don't know nothing about their marriage. Don't make statements like that. But you need to get to the point where you realize that your circumstances don't bring contentment. Jesus brings contentment. Your status doesn't bring contentment. Jesus brings contentment. Whether you're married, single, doesn't bring contentment. Jesus brings contentment. Whether you got a lot of money, don't have a lot of money, doesn't matter. Jesus is everything that you need. That's where the real stuff begins. That's where you can say, hey, I don't need that kind of stuff. There are men in our church I think they have like the iPhone 5. It's the smallest thing. It's like smaller than like a bar of soap. It's like tiny. So I got the button on the front. I love that about them. Every time I see it, I thought, I wish I was you. I really do. I wish I could look at the newer phones and go, my phone works just fine. I can't do that. I want to though. I want to be better. I want to grow. I don't want to be programmed by the world. I want to be able to say, it doesn't matter if I have a phone that's five years old. Jesus is enough. I want to get there. There's areas of my life where I want to grow to that. And I'm challenging you with the Apostle Paul. Get there. Do that. Because the things that this life has are fleeting. They don't last and they're not worth chasing after. But Jesus will never disappoint you. And verse number 13, the award for the most misapplied and misused Bible verse out of context ever known to man goes to Philippians chapter 4, verse number 13. (laughs) Again, context is key. Paul is saying here, if I had nothing to my name, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Paul says, I'd l- gladly give up everything and suffer massive loss because Christ is everything to me. Oftentimes you see Philippians 4.13 applied. It's like, I'm planning on starting my own small business because through Christ I can do all things that strengthen me. Our football team's going to win today because G- through Jesus Christ we can accomplish all things which strengthen us, you know. Like, hey, this business venture that we're going to start, we can do it because that's not what it's talking about. This is not a motivational quote to say you can achieve anything that you want to achieve. Whatever the mind can believe, the heart can achieve. No, that's not what this is saying. This is not saying you get to dream up whatever you want and you can do it. This is saying without Jesus Christ, you can do nothing. But if all you had was Jesus, you'd be okay. Because you can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth you. Steph Curry, who plays for the uh, Golden State Warriors, has this verse on his shoes when he plays basketball. I love the fact that a man would be outspoken about his faith and would claim the name of Christ. I love it. But this verse does not mean that he can play basketball well. Doesn't mean that he's, him and his team are going to win a championship. Doesn't mean that he's going to drain every shot that he takes. It simply means that if you have nothing, Jesus Christ is enough. So if you're here today and you don't know for sure that Jesus Christ is your Savior, be safe today. It's not a matter, again, of a big religious experience. It's about knowing Jesus Christ and making him Lord. That means he's the master, he's the boss. And following him for the rest of your life, that's where you find the good stuff. Christian, if you've been saved, if you've been born again and you're here today, please know whatever you're chasing after that's not Jesus will disappoint you. Chase after Jesus and you'll never be disappointed. If you think that this world will provide satisfaction, scratch that itch that's in the depths of your soul, fit the hole that's in your heart that only God could fill, and you're going to find satisfaction by money, status, 
a bunch of letters at the end of your name on your business card, that next promotion, that next job, that next place that you're at. If you chase after those things, please let me help you understand something this morning. You're just chasing after flashlight gloves. You're going to get them and you're going to go, wait a minute. This isn't as good as it looked. Wait a minute. This wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Wait a minute. This is junk. And you know what you're going to do? You're going to throw it away and you're going to say, what else can I find that will satisfy me? Only Jesus, only Jesus. Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.